Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Well, Jonathan, today we're we're picking it up right where we left off. We we watched Abram sojourning in the promised land by faith. He's he starts the epic journey, uh, the stranger's journey to the promised land. And now we're arriving with him to Egypt. And um, this is one of those stories that is really often overlooked <laughs> like nobody wants to talk about the story i i did a little bit of checking i couldn't find it of the myriad of children's bibles on my shelf both at home at church i couldn't find the story in there it it's just completely skipped i i don't think somebody could fact check this maybe they should but i don't think anyone ever preaches on it. I don't think it ends up in a lectionary at all. Like this is this is one of those stories that um isn't meditated on. And that's that's a really interesting thing. And we'll talk about this later because the scriptures want us to think about this story a, a lot. lot. <laughs> like three times right. this story is going to come up. So I guess that makes it important. <laughs> and the reasons will the become Holy clear, Spirit I think, as we go. Important. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, if it was in the Bible once, it'd be important enough, wouldn't it? Like, God ha always has something to say to us. Uh, but this one's in the Bible three times. <laughs> and uh, that's that's makes it pretty important. Now, we're, I think what we agreed to do, Jonathan, if I let help me understand if i'm not understanding right is we just want to take you on a ride here today and we're not going to tell you up front why you need to come along but you need to come along as uh we look at this really overlooked story in the bible do you want to take us into it jonathan well first of all welcome everybody back to the notable podcast um Timothy, my twin brother, pastor, Sure Foundation, heart of New York City there in Queens. And uh, I'm Jonathan. Uh, I'm pastor at St. Mark in uh, the heart of southern Minnesota uh, here in Mankato. And uh, we are, we're excited to bring you into this. We're going to take this scripture apart uh, basically in four different ways. And we're going to do, by the way, we're going to do a whole lot more than take it apart. Hopefully, we're going to actually put it together for everybody. But <laughs> sounded like a surgery, or you yeah, know, yeah, I didn't like that metaphor when it came out of my mouth. But uh, we're going to work at this in four ways, and um, so we're going to start out just reading a bit of the text. But by the end of it, hopefully, we have the story really, really packed in, pretty good um, and understood. At a, at, at a profound depth but here's the so we're in we're in genesis chapter 12 i just want to read it if you're watching on youtube uh you can see the text as well but here it is um if you're just listening to it on podcast um this is verse 10 now there was a famine in the land and abram went down to egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe so we're gonna we're gonna stop right there, and uh, I want to make a brief comment, Timothy, that you can build on, and then I want to make a little bit longer of a comment. The briefer comment that I want to make that we could meditate on more, uh, maybe in another podcast, is that uh, here we have Abram who has just started out on his faith journey. And one of the very first 
prominent things that the Lord does in his life is send into it a famine. <laughs> and that that is not unlike God. This is this is very programmatic of our Lord that uh, he sends his believers into situations where their faith can be tested. And I'm using that in a theological sense, like, like he's strengthening our faith. We're going to see by the end of this that Abram, Abram comes out of this better than ever. And no doubt that that, that was the Lord's object, um, even if it gets really messed up along the way. But, uh, hey, um, you, you're new in the faith. You're coming into the faith, even if you've been in the faith a long time. One of the, one of the features of God's plan in our life is uh, he sends famines. Well, it, it, this is a really important thing. Like Abram sent off to the, the promised land and you almost expect like the Disney ending right away. Like, oh, and then they lived happily ever after. He gets there. He finds this wonderful place. It's flowing with milk and honey. And all of a sudden we find out that it's not flowing with milk and honey at all. <laughs> so again, like we talked about last time, the promise meets incredible resistance and in opposition uh and here abram has to make really a a very uh difficult choice will he uh, stick it out during the famine or is he going to be forced to leave the the promised land for a bit just to be able to eat the, the only the other comment that I want to make, and I want to save most of my comments on, on it later, but I do want to pour into this just for a second. Every, every single Christian who reads this verse should their eyes should be popping out of their heads like a like a cartoon. Because here you have the first instance in scripture of one of God's people going down to Egypt. And, you know, Moses is writing this um, very purposefully. Um, he knows where this is leading up to um, in the Exodus. Every Christian should be reading this with the Exodus in mind. We're going to talk about that more later. But for right now, what I want to expand on is this, uh, just based on this text, that there is an awful lot of ambiguity in life. Like there, there's a there's a question here. Like should here's a major move, right? Uh, here's a Christian who made a major move in life, and you you can think about like how, should you have more kids? Should are you going to take this job or that job? Are you going to enter into that relationship or this relationship? We make major moves in our lives. Um, Abram and Sarai decide together to make a major move in their life. They're going to leave the promised land. They're going to go down to Egypt. And the question becomes, as you read that, as a Christian reads this, was this, was this the right move? Was this the right move? Like, and there, people are on both sides of this issue. They're on both sides. Of this, you know, one commentator is going to come out and say, this was sinful and this was wrong. Um, because they have, and you can understand that point of view. Like there's, there's a couple of things that seem to support that. Like, you do have a promise. We do call it the promised land. We do, we do have this promise from God in, earlier in the chapter that God's going to bless Abram. Um, should he just have stayed um, in the promised land and waited, waited on God to, to provide? And to just to support that, that point of view for a second, it is true that later in the scriptures, Egypt becomes practically synonymous with, with unbelief in God. In fact, um, I, I just want to point this out. One of the things that's really interesting about the land that God chose um, to be the promised land is that um, people who live there have, have got to be totally dependent on God. It's, this isn't Egypt with the Nile. You need the Lord to send rain. Um, furthermore, um, if, so you look, think about the resources of land. You have to be totally dependent on God. But if you think about, uh, aside from the creational world, the uh, man's world, if you're going to live in the promised land, again, you have to be totally dependent on God, totally dependent on God. You think about like 
what's so interesting about the promised land is that it's positioned between major civilizations. So um, it's positioned between people in the north, and the north is typically associated with Babylon, and then uh, the south, which is which is Egypt, where, which were both civilizational um, powerhouses through the centuries. And so what ends up happening is that the promised land is in between there, and always, 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 it's a punching bag. It's always ready to be overrun by um, a, a foreign conquering power. And so you have no, when you live in this land, God, you know, you're positioned in such a way that all you can do is be dependent on the Lord. Um, and so you can see why a commentator might come out and say, you know, Abram should, he wasn't dependent on God. He, he should have waited on God. But on the other hand, um, there's an argument against that too. Like maybe God was opening a door of provision in 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 uh, Egypt, and there's no command in the text that says you have to stay in the Promised Land. It says the Promised Land is, you know, your offspring Abram are going to have the Promised Land. It doesn't say that you will. And so there's, you know, there's certain there's certain tensions there. Um, and certainly, if you read this text here, there doesn't seem to be any condemnation at all of Abram going down to Egypt. So there's these like, should he have gone? Shouldn't he have gone? It's the same tension that we have in our lives. Like, should, should I, what am I, why am I doing this? Am I, am I doing this out of trust in, in God's provision and open door? Am I doing it um, distrusting God and forcing his hand or something like that? And we all have to ask ourselves these questions. So there's ambiguity here, Timothy. Huge ambiguity. It's it, there's a, always a tension in our lives between trusting in God and then also putting God to the test. And and what we want to do is find that sweet middle. And the ambiguity in in this lesson it it doesn't go away. We we don't get moral statements from the Holy Spirit about Abram's actions. And so we we're, we're called to as readers to look at this and um really come to our own conclusions or like if you want to talk about how narrative theorists they'll, they'll talk about the gaps in the story there's there's these gaps in the stories that we're meant to fill in and the ambiguity like if you're ready to move into the to verse 11 and 12 and 13 really continues in a very striking way like the, this is abram's plan then he says as he was about to enter egypt he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So we get, if we could, if we could frame the story this way, this is this story is really a chiasm. It's got massive dialogue at the beginning, like direct discourse, where Abram Abram speaks to Sarai. The story is going to end in the same way. We get this massive discourse between Pharaoh and Abram, and then we get the sweet uh, middle, which we'll talk about in, in just a second. But this is Abram. We get really important words. We get to see a lot about what's on his heart. He's got massive fear going on, and then he comes out with a, really a deceptive plan. And I know, Jonathan, we want to just pause right here and talk about whether or not this is sin and maybe different kinds of sin as well. I, you want to start us into it or, or should I? Well, I want you to take us into the sin here, but I, I just want to pause for a second and... Um, Look at this, look at this text, um, the way that it's set up. You, you do get this, this, uh, this speech, this little sermon from, from Abram. Say, you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. And what's really interesting about it is that we stopped reading there because that ends the scene. So like scene over, if we're watching a play, the scene is over. 
And what's really powerful, and I think profound about this, is we don't get Sarai's response. It's we don't gap. get it. It's a, yeah. there's a, this is what we call a textual gap. And we, find, we only find out later that Sarai is in complete agreement. So we have, to read, we have to read backwards. We only find out later that Sarai totally went with him. And the, the story is, is profoundly told. Um, so you have this moment. You, you almost have this, this moment of, of deep narrative tension where you go, what, what in the world did Sarai say to that? Um, my, my own experience of this text is, you know, I, I was preparing for this and I went and I said, I said to my wife, I want to read this to you because I really wanted to hear a woman's perspective on it. So I, I just, I want, I want to read this to you and I want you to react. And just because it's it's so powerful, like in, in my mind, and just enter into this moment, because the narrative asks us to, to enter into this moment. How does, narr- how does Sarah respond to this indecent proposal? You know, did she start fiddling with the ring on her finger? How does this, how does this even go? It's just, uh, my heart is sick about it, Timothy. And I think I think we have to, like, if, if our hearts aren't our, in our stomachs right now, there's something wrong with us. But now, like, I'm just trying to enter imaginatively into the story as the narrative calls us to do it. And I think when we do that, we're ready to actually look at what's going on here spiritually. Yeah. So there's, I, I guess I wanted to just talk about the different, it's I kind of think about Abram on an elevator of evil. <laughs> yeah. I, I just I like in that he's just descending. And I, I don't know, I don't know that we should really like say that one sin's worse than the other. But the first thing that I he does, I got at least five things that he does wrong. And I want to say the last one is deception for for last, uh, so we can pour into that a little bit extra. But um, the first thing that he does is that he dishonors his marriage. He basically, I don't know if the ancients wore rings. I kind of doubt that they did. But he basically says to his wife, this would be a modern way of saying it. Let's go into a bar and take off your wedding ring and pretend that we're friends or something like that. And um, that is that is straight up just dishonoring your marriage. And he is putting what should have been a strong foundation, really a covenant between the two of them at risk. And I can't help but think that, you know, before God, this is a violation, first of all. But I also think it weakens, it weakens the 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 whole edifice like of of his marriage and this is this is a little bit of speculation but i think it's probably pretty decent speculation that abram actually walks out of here um with hagar like where where do we where else did hagar come from so already the and she's going to become a big problem for for the family later as is ishmael and it's going to cause Sarah tremendous pain. So, not not only that, but um, already it's kind of laying the foundation for Abram's sexual unfaithfulness to Sarah, Sarai later, because Abram was willing to at least risk the same thing in in Egypt uh, in reversed roles, really. So. This is a this is a big problem that has huge ramifications later in your life. And honestly, like, I, I, you know, I was thinking about how we dishonor marriage uh, ourselves. And I think some of it is when when young people think it's a, actually a good idea to act like you're married before you're married. And that's actually going to help the marriage. But I think what we have to understand is anything that we do to dishonor marriage 
either before we're married or after is going to have huge ramifications later because it really starts to to um, crumble the walls of marriage from the very beginning. And so that that's the first sort of level of sin here. I, I, I got a few more to go, but um, I don't know, Jonathan, if you wanted to build on that at all. I think what's only one one brief comment. What's really, really interesting these days, and this is just happening in 2022, is that people in the sexual revolution who are all believers in the sexual revolution have come all the There's a very prominent book that's coming out of um, Britain right now from people who are all proponents of the sexual revolution that actually monogamy is the solution to everything. <laughs> oh my goodness, you know, like, it's, so it's here, news. <laughs> yeah, so so here here we like it's really actually what people want. It's it's actually what people want. And so here here we have it anyway, Timothy, keep going. There's more here. Yeah, so the second sin that I think that we need to notice is you know, I'm not sure. I want to I want to give it just play around with some names, some technicalities stereotyping racism fear of the other like abram let let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he was filled with fear for his very life he must have imagined and perhaps he's right i'm not sure uh that um these egyptian fellows were lusty horses and bloodthirsty fellows. Like that is absolutely how he viewed them. Now I, I read one commentator that actually defended Abram's fear. And he said, he said, look at um David. David was willing to kill for Bathsheba. And I I thought about that for a while. And I was like, no, that's not a parallel. Because David didn't eliminate uh Uriah until there was a pregnancy involved. This is that it's not a parallel. Like it. And, and I thought about how irrational his fear was. Like, he he's imagining that the Egyptians were good enough people that they would honor his marriage to Sarai. But at the same time... Yeah, they're time, not okay with adultery. They're not yeah, okay with like, adultery. We won't just take her and do what we want with her. That's not something that he imagines they do. But he does imagine, and he really believes that they would end him so that they could marry Sarah. You know, and maybe, maybe a historical scholar is going to weigh in and be like, oh, that's exactly how it was. <laughs> and, and, but I don't know, you know, I don't know. But what we, what we can say is that his fear absolutely dominated him and, and perhaps was actually pretty sinful. Like he, he thought, um, really poorly of the Egyptians, and Pharaoh is insulted. Like, if, if we can pay attention to his words, like he, he's like, I don't get it. <laughs> so it turns out that the Egyptians were um, actually much more upstanding citizens and not as lusty and bloodthirsty as Abram actually thought. So he you could say that it was a violation of the eighth commandment. Yeah, well. he's, he's engaging in suspicion. And this is where it's, we can do a little clarification on how Christians live in this world. Like on the one hand, uh, just like Christ, we, we never entrust ourselves to human beings, to princes, to human beings because we understand that human beings have darkness in them. Like I'm thinking about Christ's teaching in, in the gospel of John. Um, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them. And that's, we live our lives in that tension. We, we know that inside of all people, there's darkness. We never ultimately trust human beings. We can't, we, what we do is we trust 
in our God. So ultimately, we entrust ourselves to God. On the one hand, that's how we live our lives. With a holding people maybe more loosely, we can't ultimately trust people. That ultimately, people will not prove faithful. God will. But on the on the other hand, that does not mean then that we should live our lives paranoid and suspicious. And in fact, um, if we think it out, um, you you can have you cannot have a healthy um, country. You can't have a healthy church. You can't have a single healthy relationship when there's suspicion or paranoia um, inside the relationship. Um, uh, that's what produces civil wars in countries. That's what that's what makes um, that's what keeps people outside of churches. That's what makes um, marriages crumble when there's suspicion, when there's not some kind of level of trust. And, and so that's why it's so important to keep the Eighth Commandment so that there can actually be um, some kind of modicum of stable relationships in the world. So th that's, a, that's a really interesting thing about a migrant coming into a country and, and how they feel about, about the people there. Abram is perhaps a bad example of that. I got, I got another sin. This, this one's a husband's sin, and we're going a little bit uh, into his words, but he, he actually says to Sarai that she should go along with this deception, say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So uh, Abram mm. here is putting his wife at risk, uh, at least for infidelity um in order that he would be treated well and that and so that he wouldn't die at least his, his imagined death so um you know that that's problematic when when the scriptures say to to a husband that we are called to lay down our lives and and to love as Christ has loved the church which means to die for them, actually, Abram asked Sarai to um, live out his calling. So he reverses the the callings in marriage, and and that is um, it's a husband sin. I don't know if it, that's that's as far as I wanted to take that one. And I got one more, and this one's a God sin, and this is this is the biggest one. But the Lord had promised to Abram. He said that I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will um, let you be a blessing to all nations. And here we have Abram doubting that promise and instead turning to deception to help sort of help God along. And that is, uh, you know, that's a problem. That's a big spiritual problem. Do you want to give that one wings, or are you you good with what we've said so far, Jonathan? He's telling a lie, Timothy, and he tells like if I could put it like this, he's telling a lie because he's believing the biggest lie of all that God is not true to His word, um, that God is not trustworthy. And one comment before we take this all the way down is that. One thing that's really important to know about our behaviors and our sins is that um, there's, there's almost always a sin underneath our sin. There's like, there's a, there's a, there's, you play in the shallows or you, you go to the depths. Um, and it's important to realize that because when we minister to our own souls and when we minister to the souls of others, if we if we play in the shallows and we say, you know, Abram, let me give you a teaching on marriage. Um, it's not it's still not dealing with his real issue. You know, he needs a teaching on marriage. Obviously, he does. But it, it, it we still haven't gotten all the way there. At the depth of his heart, Abram is 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 believing a lie about God. He's believing a lie about God. 
And that is actually true. You just have to figure out which lie it is. That, that is actually true of every single sin. In fact, one of the things, just one last comment about that, and just kind of let this uh, sit on people's souls. One of the, one of the reasons why um, the small catechism has stood the test of time is, is just how insightful it is into the scriptures. So like when you, when you look at the commandments, one of the things that they always say in the meaning is that we should fear and love God that. Um, and, the, and, the, and the incredible spiritual insight is that there's always a sin underneath the sin. There's always somehow, some way that we're failing to connect our lives to God. So why does, why does Abram instrumentalize Sarah? Why does he so, so careless? Why, and we start and we go down the levels of the elevator. At the bottom of that, Abram tells a lie because he believes a lie about God. And I think that one of, one of the reasons why I'm really passionate now about this, this little narrative is that this narrative does give us a chance to talk about lies and deception and misinformation and all and, and disinformation or whatever it is that people are calling it this day, these days. It, this is one of the stories that we can we can look at and specifically we can even narrow it and because sometimes there's this question am I really lying if I just omit a key part of the truth because we're going to learn in a later narrative that what Sarai says is actually on its face absolutely true she is and this is just kind of gross for modern day um, readers and listeners, but Sarah is actually Abram's half sister. So they shared Tara as a dad and they had um, their own mothers. Uh, so when she says, I'm, I'm his sister, that's true, but it omits, like it leaves in the darkness, the fact that they are actually also um, husband and wife, which is a key omission, and it is that is still um, dishonesty. It's deception, and it is a lie. Yeah, and and to bring clarity to that, like this doesn't mean that everybody has to know your business, but but there are um, there are some issues that people just need to know, like, for example, that somebody's your wife, like that, that's actually something that everybody needs to know, which is why we typically wear wedding rings, because, hey, people got to know you're off the market. Um, so it is a lie. You, you aren't sharing information that really needs to be shared so that people can interact with you in relationship appropriately. Right. So one, I think it's helpful. Christians in the past, and I think St. Augustine specifically, actually would put lies in three different categories. And I, it was helpful. I did a little reading on this. It was helpful for me. The, the first category of a lie or, or a deception would be playful lies. And this is, these are the lies that kids are always kind of living out, like when little kids pretend to be princesses and stuff. That is, that's just play, you know? And and grownups, uh, they actually call it, like if you go to Broadway by me, they call them plays. And we're asked to suspend for a minute um, our, our belief and, and pretend that these people are uh, playing a different role in life. But it is a, it is a deception, but we're all in on it. And that, that would be the difference. So it's, it's not sin to uh, pretend when everybody knows what's going on. So that's the first kind of... of um, Timothy, I want to nuance that just for a second before you go on to the next thing. There, there, are, um, there are people who suspend reality in, in a playful way, uh, and it's not sin, but there are people who do it, in, in a, like they suspend reality and everybody knows they're doing it, but it's actually highly dangerous. That happens on the internet all the time. And so it, it, it has to be for, 
when you when like in theater or um, in art or you're telling a story, it does need to have the benefit of the common good in mind. Um, so like, for example, I'll give you an example of this, like a playful lie that's for the benefit. You gave one like child play. Absolutely. Um, kids are learning through their imagination to interact properly with the world. It's for the common good. But like we, we had a VBS here at St. Mark and I pretended and everybody was in on it that I was a rainforest explorer and we were doing research in, 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 the, in, the, in the rainforest together. And everybody knows I'm a pastor. Nobody thought I was actually a research explorer. And that was for the benefit of the common good. But when you enter into an imaginary world um, and it's not, it, and, and, and everybody knows you're doing it, but it's not for the benefit of the common good. It's so that you can uh, practice escapism or engage in some other kind of inappropriate activity. Um, that, is, that, that kind of playful lie is not playful at all. That's highly damaging to people. So I, I just want to nuance that a little bit. I appreciate that. That's a good, that's a good nuance. So let's go on to the next slide. The next kind of lie would be called, some, they call it an obliging lie. This is the lie. I was actually reading in my devotional life, um, David's wife, Michael, uh, Michael's um, dad, Saul, wanted to kill David. And so Michael deceived her own dad and, you know, used goat's hair to fashion a figure that looked like David was with her in bed when he really wasn't. And then Saul's um, lynch mob goes in there about to kill David. He's not there. That's a lie. Or you can think about like the Underground Railroad here in the United States where people would actively lie to keep runaway slaves away from uh, their their owners or um, you, you know you, you can think about trying to save Jews in Nazi Germany like you would have to I'm sure there was deception and lies involved the difference and and these are not like this is where Christians can get into some really troubling scenarios where they are actually you know risking their own life they tell a lie that does not benefit them at all and instead saves the life of another. See, and this is where we would say this isn't sin. This is something that we're kind of forced into in a sinful world and an obliging lie. And then the, the last kind of lie then would be what um, the ancients called deadly lies. And these are lies where they we we deceive somebody we do it um at the expense of our neighbor so it's the exact opposite of what we just talked about and we do it for our own advantage and the vast majority of deception lies falls sadly into this this third category deadly lies and i, I don't i i just don't have any heart in me to argue that Abram um, is is deceiving and lying uh, to oblige. He's he, he's doing it for his own advantage at the expense of neighbor, both Pharaoh and his own wife. Yeah, and and Timothy even even more so. Like, and we can comment on this at the end of the text too. But Abram doesn't have any heart for that either. Like he gets called on the carpet for it and he does not defend himself. Pharaoh's speech stands and he goes away acquiescing to everything that, that, that Pharaoh says. So Abram knows, you know, he, he does not have a leg to stand on. And the Hebrew narrative um, makes that clear. I think, I think um, this is heavy stuff, everybody. <laughs> this is a heavy story. It's a heavy, heavy story. It, it is, yeah. You know, it made my heart sick thinking about it. Like I, I, I just I kept entering into it with my imagination, Timothy, and thinking about, you know, what was this like as they're walking into Egypt and the the wall of silence, and I'm thinking of, you know, was Sarah fiddling with the ring? When does she take it off? And there's just so much sickness in me about it, and it makes me think about, it makes me think about how easy this is 
in our lives to do this. And, and, you know, like, I wonder how many people got nervous when they found out the IRS got more funding um, recently. And, and um, it, it makes me think about so many stories I know, like of the pain of, of, of lies and, um, you know, sitting with people who did a genetic test and all of a sudden they um, find out there's a whole nother family that their dad had on the other side of town and, and people who don't know the truth about their own biology. And um, it, it's just um, so satanic, so satanic. And um, maybe for all of us, we can stop and think about here we have, here we have a believer who's struggling so much that he tells a lie and he brings his wife in on it. And it, it's, a, it's a chance for all of us to pause and to search our hearts and to think about the secrets, you know, because here, this is what we have is we have a secret, Abram, which is also a lie because <laughs> people, people need to know this. And the damage, the damage that, that we cause because of our unbelief um, at the end of it, the pain that we cause is unbelievable. And this is a tremendous opportunity for us to repent and, and to see the elevator go down in our own lives. I couldn't say that better. I think, so we've been do, doing a lot of law here and I, there's an opportunity to do that, but there's, we, we need some gospel now <laughs> and we have the best time because God's response to this uh, deception and these this elevator, you know, descent into into evil on Abram's part is, how, Jonathan. It is absolutely breathtaking. Like I was thinking about if we if we just had just that first part, Ooh. and then we hear about oh, it it's worse than Abram ever could have imagined. Actually, the Egyptians don't even bother to negotiate with them, and they just go and kidnap Sarai because she actually is beautiful, like like Abram said. And it, it, what if the story just paused right there? Like, and I try to imagine what. Okay, now what's God going to do? Like, <laughs> it like you this wouldn't ever anticipate this. No, like it's not. This isn't Noah's Ark for sure. Like, it's not. Let me try to start over. It's not the Tower of Babel. I'll confuse the tongues or anything like that. Like now God's given a promise and and the response is so gracious. Like, and, it, and it, it's so gracious. It's so radical that you wonder, is Abram going to learn the wrong lesson? <laughs> like, like, mm -hmm. He just like, let me just give you a, like a thumbnail sketch of what happens. Okay. So God, as a response to Abram's unbelief and mistreatment of his wife, decides to bless him abundantly. Like he all of a sudden, Abram becomes like the favorite brother-in-law or at least future brother-in-law. And Pharaoh's going to made it, it makes it his goal to make him rich. Like, Sheep, cattle, male, female donkeys, male, female servants, camels, like everything's coming at Abram. Uh, lickety split. He is getting really rich, which is going to cause a problem. We'll look at this next week um, for Abram and Lot. They get too rich, so rich that they actually have to separate. That, that's their big plan. We'll have to see if we, we think that that was a good thing to do or not. Um, then the Lord, the Lord causes problems for pharaoh so we're he he, he causes <laughs> severe diseases on pharaoh's household yep. so he he strikes them hard with some kind of disease we should talk about maybe what that is in, in just a second and then god's so gracious and on top of that he doesn't leave abram to wonder if all of this was okay he calls a heathen, unbelieving king to rebuke him, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. Like, how many times do we re get rebuked by the heathen in, in this world? Like, the it's very Jonah-esque, Tim. Yeah, it's very like, ironic. There's just Pharaoh, so much Pharaoh becomes this 
preacher of righteousness for Abram. So, and then and then Abram leaves. He's unscathed. He's his belly is full. He's rich. His wife is untouched. And he even um, gets an honor guard all the way out of Egypt. Yeah, like, like that's the rest of the story. It's it's unbelievable, unbelievable Grace. blessing. And I, I one commentator put it this way. I thought it was really well put. He said, instead of like some kind of divine punishment, God embarrasses Abram with his blessing. He embarrasses Abram with his blessing. So I've yeah, said a he, lot right there. You sketched it out so beautifully, Timothy, but you you know, verses 14, 15, and 16, you do see things play out. Abram gets blessed, radically blessed. But verse 17 is the key. Here you get the Lord's activity named. And this is significant. We don't always get this in Genesis, but here we get the Lord's activity named. And I'm just going to read verse 17 here. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. Sarah. So uh, here's here's what I want to point out. This is this is really interesting. What we have here um, is yet another uh, textual gap. That's what we have. So we had a textual gap in verse 13. What's Sarai's response? We find out that from the details of the narrative later what it is that she was ends up fiddling with the ring and taking it off. Um, if we could use symbolic language like that. But then here we get a gap because we actually don't know what happened. We actually do not know what happened. So the Lord, what we, we get plague language here, and I want to be clear about that. We're going to come back to that later. But we do get plague language in, um, in the Hebrew. Here it's translated that the Lord inflicted serious diseases in, in the Hebrew. It's a plague. Um, and it says specifically um, on Pharaoh and his household. Now, what's, what's interesting about it, we, just, we don't know what the plague is. What's the plague? And what what we what the reader does, and this is the effect of the narrative on us, is we have to enter into that textual gap with our imagination. And um, what we what we end up doing is it's almost like a murder mystery, and we have to reconstruct what happened. In fact, you can't even help but doing do it. In, in fact, I'm, I'm gonna I'm preaching on this on Sunday, and I'm gonna ask my church afterwards. We're gonna we're gonna have church after church a little Bible class. And I'm going to ask people, like, what did what did you think? Like, how did you reconstruct this? Because inevitably, we end up reconstructing it. And um, I can give you a couple different proposals, you know, as people enter into this scenario. Um, people push it pretty hard. Like, on the one hand, of course, one of the most famous commentators on this is Martin Luther. His Genesis lectures are um, very rich. And Martin Luther enters into a reconstruction. And he thinks what happens here is that the pregnant women in Pharaoh's household um, have very different, difficult deliveries and end up, you know, people end up dying. And um, he reconstructs it, reconstructs it that way. Um, Jewish commentators like a guy named um, Rashi um, or Rashi, um, he reconstructs it. Reconstructs it by imagining that this is really some kind of STD so that, and even imagines like a, like a, almost like a bedchamber scene, like some Jewish commentators go that far where Pharaoh um, and Sarai are together in a room and, and Sarah's like, well, I know why that happened. Um, and there's, and so nothing happens between them. Um, the, the Moses says nothing about it. The only thing we we the only thing we know is that Pharaoh and his household have this nailed down that it is because of Sarai. We have no idea why they knew it was because of Sarai. We have no idea what the plague was, but somehow everybody knew that because Sarai was in their midst, um, that this deadly that this deadly deadly plague was was going on one last thing just to help push the for story forward um this helps you you know people uh, 
just just um, people can be more moral than you expect. Let me just say that um, it 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 is absolutely clear here that Pharaoh does not immediately um, bring Sarai in. Um, and in fact, the parallel is the, is the Esther story. Um, and in the Esther story, um, there is a significant amount of time that's taken before Esther is brought to the king. Um, and, and so Sarai is, is kept pure here. Um, she's kept sacred for Abram. And the Lord graciously, as he said, and it's just an embarrassment of riches here, graciously um, protects Sarai um, and, and their marriage. And, and by virtue of doing that, the promise that is ultimately Christ. So I, I guess I just wanted to kind of bring this all around then and talk about what this means in our life. And I guess we have to you know, be careful about how we talk about this, but I'm going to say something really radical. God blesses Abram's sin here. He puts his hand on it. He makes, he takes his sin and works it out for his good. And he embarrasses him with, with his grace. This kind of response to sin takes maturity for the believer to, to get it. Like the Lord could have made Abram suffer massive consequences for this, for this deception, for this plan. Like you can, you can imagine. You lose the, your wife. Yeah. You lose everything. You, you yeah. can imagine the consequences that he maybe could have and should have suffered, but the Lord spares him all of it. And um, the danger, and I think like some Christians would be like, don't say it, Pastor, you know, but I'm going to say it. The, the danger is that we don't, we don't learn the lesson that God wanted Abram to learn, which is that his word is faithful, even because of him, despite his sin and be, even because of his sin. The Lord is, is faithful. The Lord forgives. And so I think what I'm trying to get at here is that we, all those deceptions that you named and helped people to think about in their own hearts and in their own lives, how many of them are still kind of sort of out there, right? And how many has God simply put his hand on? Not to get us to believe that it was okay, it wasn't. In fact, it cost God the life of his own son. This is why Jesus bled you're, and died. You're like pushing the rhetoric, and I'm okay with that, like pushing the rhetoric on it. But at the end of the day, like the biblical language on this is that God works out everything for our good, everything for mm -hmm. the believer. And, mm -hmm. and that includes our sin and our evil. And that's clear here in this text. And it's it, it, and even even like one more like look at the text. Listen to this. Like Timothy, we were talking about the lies that you know all of the sin in this. Look at what listen to Pharaoh's speech. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And what ends up happening? Like I just I love that. Like Pharaoh comes in and and it's and it's what. And it's why, and it's why, so that so that Abram, his his sin, his sin can't be blessed in his heart. In fact, what God provides this preaching in Abram's life, so that the elevator can go down and all of the poison can be sucked out of Abram's heart. It's it's what, and it's why, and and it's why, so that what ends up happening is yes, Abram goes away from Egypt. He has, he has his wife and his marriage and his love intact yet. He has, he's, he's been incredibly enriched in every way. But more than anything else, Timothy, his heart has been. He has been properly rebuked. He has been, he has been properly preached to so he can return again to the promise, stop telling lies, and also stop believing lies. And that mm. is so helpful. Like, that's what we need, Timothy. That's what we need. We need to stop 
believing lies that that God, like we, we've been too bad, God, God won't bless me. We've been too sinful. Um, it's too messed up. I can't tell my child about this. I can't tell my in-laws about this. I can't be honest with my pastor about that. I, and, and we end up telling, or I can't, you know, um, confess this to my spouse, whatever it is. We, we believe the lies, we bottle them up, the secrets, we keep telling them until we start believing that God redeems it all, until God forgives it all, until God can take all of it somehow. Most of the time, we have no idea how he's going to do it. How is God going to redeem this mess? I don't know, but he will. He promises. He promises. And he's that good. In Christ, he's, he's that good. He's that good. There's before we leave this little episode in Abram's life behind, I think we have to kind of back up the camera, so to say, like we've been really focused in on on the verses and and rightfully so. But I think we need to back up the camera and just put it in a big, big biblical context here for our listeners. And hopefully we can do this really quick. But I want to look backward, forward, and then I want to look at how this story is is duplicated. The because we, we want to see this in the context of Genesis. The first thing that I want to just notice with you is, is, is just to take us backward for a second. And here we have, like, people draw parallels. You can agree or disagree whether the parallels there or not. But I see it that here we have a woman who is at, at the heart of things, her name's Sarai. We had another woman at the heart of things at a, at a moment critical in history. Her name was Eve. And in in that um, in that, I lost my train of thought for a second. But in both sections, we have uh, a temptation taking place. And in Genesis, in early Genesis, we have the tempter, the enemy, the evil one, Satan himself, tempting the great patriarch Adam and Eve to sin. And of course they fall into it. Now here, the roles are reversed and there's a woman involved and Abram becomes the tempter to the world. And of course, um, the curses and blessings get reversed in Christ because of God's word, which is a really interesting way to, to look at things. Um, so there's that, like we want to look, we want to look back, but we also want to look forward uh, to uh, there. Are, there's definitely even stronger parallels to a later story in the in the Pentateuch. I don't, Jonathan, you want to take this one as we look forward? Yeah, it's Timothy. I'm, I really want to do Exodus sometime on this podcast, but um, actually, like every. I think every Christian who reads this um, can pick this up, but um, Robert Alter and his little, I don't like a lot of his stuff, but he's, he's the one who most, uh, he grabs onto this, the best of all the commentators. Um, he, um, he points out that this is absolutely foreshadowing um, the way that God's people went down in Egypt at the end of Genesis and then the way that Exodus brings them back up out. Um, and here you get echoes of of that of the Exodus account. I mean, just absolutely, absolutely, massively. Um, here you get, uh, you know, they go down to Egypt. You you even get a a Hebrew male. You get a Hebrew male um, who who is threatened with death. Um, you, you get echoes of of this. And if you want to look at this Exodus one one verse. Uh, 22 uh you get uh, this this is the story where you get pharaoh you get you get your first you know pharaoh and uh god's people are are facing facing off and then and then you also get this um this record that uh you you know abram here spoils the egyptians to use the language of of exodus he spoils the egyptians so he he get he comes away um enriched massively um, and he comes up out of Egypt. And so you, 
you, you, what we start to learn here is, is who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And who is the God of the Exodus? We're getting, we're getting God's characteristic actions down, if I could put it like that. He is the God who brings us up out of Egypt, against, uh, brings us up out of um, enemy uh, circumstances, hostile, threatening circumstances to safety back in the promised land. There's a there was a striking quote, I'm, and I'm blanking on the author right now, but it said, what happens to the fathers happens to the sons in the scriptures. Yeah. So this is a cycle that that begins here where one of God's people goes down to Egypt and then he comes back out um, richer in every way, first of all, spiritually, but also materially. And that's going to continue at the Exodus, but that's not the only son of God that that ends up in Egypt. Jesus oh, Christ do does too. Yeah, and, he goes and so down to Egypt. what happens to the fathers happens to the son. So we need to we need to learn to expect that we're going to have our own sojourn in Egypt. We're gonna we're gonna um, arrive there and try our own sorts of deceptions. You know, hopefully not. We're gonna learn from it. But, and then the Lord so faithfully is going to provide the exodus in in jesus christ so so massively so this is this is a um you know this is huge this is a cycle that that's going to keep coming around we we're we're meditating on the scriptures right now like this isn't just good biblical like we're doing good biblical theology fine we're doing good biblical theology what i'm what i'm trying to point out here is that this, this is what we call a means of grace. We read these stories. And what's happening is when we read meta stories like this, that's what I'll call this story. It's a meta story. Like it really fits into the big. It's a type um, scene. It's the yeah. first biblical type scene. When we, when we get these archetypal stories, we more than in any other place, we learn of the characteristic action of self, you know, act saving work of god and what we can do then is as we live in that story and really realize it's our story too we can live by faith god will not abandon us even in our sin god will keep his word of promise he will care for us he will bless us no matter what and so we live by faith and we know that ultimately in jesus christ as you said mm -hmm. There's one more issue that has to do with the larger biblical narrative that we that we have to deal with. Um, this story is is often disputed as um, sort of a, a replica uh, because in, read ahead in Genesis 20 and then again in, in, in Genesis 26, um, very similar. This is sad to say, actually, like this is going to be a little bit of a down note, but. Abram's going to try this, this out again. <laughs> like he's going to, he's going to go through the same deception just in, in, in another place with another king. And then this is really sad. We're going to learn that this, this, this deception becomes generational. Like, of course, um, Isaac is watching this happen later, right? And or maybe he hears about it and he's going to learn that, well, dad did it. Maybe I can do it, too. So then he tries the same deception with Rebecca. So, um, you know, this this is a story. It's a massive story, really important story. So important is how I understand, at least that it ends up three different times in the Bible, both as a message of warning and of God's incredible grace. Timothy, I want to I want to ask an answer, uh, a closing question: Will our unfaithfulness, will our sin, and will our unbelief nullify the faithfulness of God? No, it will not. God is not a man that he should lie. God keeps His word, and. Let every person listening to this podcast know that he was faithful to Sarai in the story. Every woman out there who has been mistreated or abused, God is faithful. 
Um, God is faithful to to liars like like Abram too. God is faithful, and Jesus Christ, He's faithful. Have hope, people of God. Have hope. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.thenotablepodcast.com.